Good morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. It is always good to be home if I haven't ever got an opportunity to meet you. My name is Stephen Durbin, and this is my home church, and this is home. I love being back in Albany except for the gnats. We live above the gnat line, and, and that's about the only thing we miss. My wife and I, we were coming back from a youth camp down in Panama City Friday, and so Rebecca dropped uh, my oldest son, our oldest son, just didn't want you to get the wrong idea, our oldest son <laughs> off, and I uh, had to get back home, and then she's traveled back last night because we have some family coming in and wanted to drop off the kids, and hey, um, we didn't have a car. Have you ever taken an Uber in Albany, Georgia? We did the Los Vaqueros, and I'm just telling you, I have never felt more like just creme of the crop. It was just something, just that door service. We got out, they rolled out the red carpet, gave us chips and salsa. It was beautiful. It is good to be home. I've got a friend who uh, pastors out in Texas, and he is a runner. And I'm not quite sure why people run. I know that people do enjoy it. They like it. How many of you are runners? You just kind of, you enjoy it. It's kind of your thing. See how there's less hands than there are hands up? <laughs> and, and you hear about this thing where people get a runner's high, where they run and, and they just get into this, this trance and they just, the, just the energy and things like that. I'm, I've never experienced that. <laughs> I think I've experienced a, like a hash brown high at, at Waffle House. <laughs> When you hit that bite just right and it's got the perfect cheese, ham, and onions, you know, this is from the Lord. But anyway, my buddy, my buddy likes to run. That's his thing. And he said, you know, when you're on vacation, you're down at the beach, uh, your kids wake up. They never wake up at home. But at the beach, they're going to wake up when you want to sleep in. And they want to be out at the beach and not watch the sunrise. They want to get in the ocean. And so he said, I wanted my wife to sleep. So I snuck down there with my kids. I'm sitting in a beach chair. My kids are kind of playing in the surf and building sandcastles. And then I saw another guy. He was in the same predicament I was in. He was down on the beach, and our kids start playing together. And he said, you know, he's kind of like me. I'm a high-functioning introvert. I like alone time when it's time to be alone. And he said, well, our kids start playing, and then we start talking. Exchanging information about our kids. How many you got? Where's your wife? She's asleep. We love her. And he looked down and he said, um, next thing I know, the guy looked at me and said, uh, uh, how long have you been running marathons? And my friend said he felt so proud of himself because he just thought, oh, maybe I passed him. Maybe he saw me in the Boston Marathon. Maybe he just could tell by my striking physique that I am a runner. And he said, let me ask you um, a, a long time, but how did you know I was a runner? And he said, you're missing toenails. And see, what people outside of the running community don't understand is that if you run often enough and long enough, you lose your toenails, which is another reason you shouldn't run. <laughs> now, I'll tell you that dumb story for a reason. There was a physical mark on the physical body of my buddy that identified him as being a part of the running community. Now, in Christianity, we don't work, we don't serve, we don't love, 
We don't give. We don't do any of the things that Christians are to do so that God will love us or to earn salvation. But because we're saved, those things naturally flow out of our lives. There are marks on those of us who know Christ, who have been changed by Christ, who have been transformed by Christ that the world can't emulate for too long. Untold millions of people work jobs that have never been given a formal job description. If, if you work a job right now and you've never been given a formal job description of what you do, would you just slip your hand up? A lot of you. You just kind of make it up as you go, don't you? You just do the best you can. You look around and go, hey, what are other people doing? Okay, I'm going to look busy. I'm just going to do that. We may have a general understanding of what's required, but largely we're figuring it out as we go. And I think the church, most churches in fact, fail at this, at coming alongside new followers of Christ and giving them the tools that are required for them to understand what is expected of them in life in the kingdom. Discipleship is something that we hope happens in this scenario. Or maybe if you're extra spiritual, you'll go to uh, Sunday morning, you'll go to connection classes, Sunday school. And if you're extra, extra special and you're really dedicated, maybe you'll show up at Wednesday night. And there is some of it that is caught. There is certainly something to be said about being around the, the people of God, in the house of God, under the word of God, and singing the words of God. There's something about that. But life-on-life -life discipleship. And finding out what are the marks, what's the role of a disciple. In Acts chapter 9, obviously Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens. Peter preaches the first sermon. 3,000 people are saved and baptized and added to their number, to the kingdom. We get to Acts chapter 9, and at the beginning of the chapter, it's the conversion of Saul, where Saul becomes Paul. Not that his name actually physically changed, but he became known. as a, There was a new life in Christ. You get into verse 10, there's an interaction in Scripture between he and a follower of Jesus by the name of Ananias that I feel like is one of the most beautiful stories in the narrative of the gospel. I, I feel like there, there's so much there that we can learn from. And if you're anything like me, when I first became a Christian, I wanted to read the Bible and try to understand it. I didn't know, do you start at the beginning like a normal book and you just turn page by page and, and some themes seemed a little different or do I just start in the back in the Old Testament or the New Testament where Jesus is or do I visit the Old Testament? All of it. But when we look at this New Testament passage here in Acts chapter 9, I want to start reading in verse 10. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things about this man. How much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument 
of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, and the Lord who appeared to him, appeared to you on the road by which you came and sent me so that you may regain your sight and, somebody say and, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Ananias was a godly man and he was devoted to the law and he was well thought of of the Jews in Damascus, but he also had been changed by the power of the gospel. The word of God tells us that we will be known for our love for one another and by the fruit of our lives. Now, we don't produce fruit so that we're loved. Fruit naturally comes out of our life because of the love of God. So let's talk this morning about the role of a disciple. Now, before you get into taking notes and, and scribbling down things, please know this is not an extensive list. This is not all that it entails. But we see some things happening here with the life of Ananias in the message that he received, in his hesitancy, in his obedience, and what happened as a matter of his obedience. You understand that Paul wrote about two-thirds of what we call the New Testament. He went on to be one of the charging powers and forces among other hundreds and possibly thousands of other followers of Christ, but arguably no one was used to a greater capacity in New Testament times than the Apostle Paul. So let's talk about the role of a disciple. First thing we see here in verse 10 is the proper response to God's voice is always availability. The proper response to the voice of God is always availability. In verse 10, it names who he is, and then the Lord said to him, Ananias. He just simply called his name. Ananias' response is similar to that of Isaiah. In chapter 6, he said, here I am. Does God ever call you to something and you want to send it straight to your, your, your voicemail? In the old days of your, you know, your, uh, the machine, the, the phone machine, what was that thing called back in the 80s and 90s? Answer machine. See, some of y'all are just. You remember, if you were real rich, you could order that for 1995 where it would play different songs. I mean, there was always that commercial. Sometimes God speaks and we wish he would just go ahead and tell someone else. The beauty of the gospel is that he doesn't need any of us. He wants us. He calls us to himself so that we would respond out of obedience. Ananias hears his name, and before there's anything else, he simply responds with, here I am. How, how quickly, when the Lord speaks to your heart, my heart, do we respond? The Lord knew where Ananias was. When you read scripture, there are times that God will ask questions and sometimes it seems rhetorical. You understand that the father never asks questions to get information. He already knows all things. We, we are not 
asking God to get on the same page with us. He is beckoning us through the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of of the Son to to join in his mission to reach the world. He called out to Ananias, and Ananias said, here I am. It's always the proper response to be available to the Father. Walking closely with the Father positions us to hear more clearly from him. When you and I walk closely with the Father, it puts us in a position to hear more clearly from him. And we have so much busyness in our life. We have cell phone. We have Alexa. Somebody watching right now, their Alexa just went off. We have computers, emails. We have um, power in our pocket to see anything that we'd like to see. Some things good and some things horrendous. We, it, my Bible, I had to go to large print just a, a couple years ago after I left. And um, what I noticed is that the margins in my Bible are smaller than they used to be. Because the words are bigger. The letters are bigger so that my eyes can have a greater ease in trying to pick up where I left off and to decipher the word that I'm trying to speak. If my life and your life was a book, I'm convinced that we would have no margin in our life. That from the page in to page in, it would be word after word after word after word. Why? Because we're so busy. And the busier we are, the less likely we are to render ourselves as useful and available to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have very little margin in our life. And margin, those quiet moments allow for the Savior of the world to deeply impact our lives. Distractions in our world keeps us from the Word of God. Distractions in our life keeps us from meaningful discipleship. Church, when was the last time that you sat quietly before the Lord and just waited on Him? Just waited on Him. Just to hear from Him. Not just talk to Him. Not just rattle off a list of what you want or what you like or maybe even what you're thankful for. And all of those things are part of meaningful prayer, but just to listen to them. Growing up here, I can't tell you how many times I heard Michael say, you're responsible for what you hear, but you're also responsible for what you would have heard if you'd have been listening. Not wanting to add anything to scripture, but I wonder if the Lord went to anyone before he went to Ananias. I wonder who he would have went to if Ananias wouldn't have made himself available. Gratefully, we have this opportunity to read here in chapter 9 of Ananias' availability to God and his mission and his voice. Walking closely with Jesus positions you to hear clearly from him. It's not enough to hear God speak, church. We have to act. We don't just listen. We don't just recognize. We are people of action. We are sitters and soakers. And sitters and soakers spoil. Something's got to happen. Something's got to click from the altar to the door so that when we leave, as we go out, we take the message of Jesus and the mission of Jesus with us. And that's how the world is going to be changed. 
Not enough people are going to show up and hear Pastor Paul preach. Not enough people are going to come and hear the incredible music. Not enough people are going to come and, and be a part of meaningful organizations in all of these different churches and discipleship opportunities and sit under the teaching of the word. You understand, we are dispatched as ambassadors of the kingdom entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And if you feel like I'm pushing you, it's because I am. I'm leaving in an hour and a half. I got all the friends I want. This is my hometown. I was born here. And in Albany, Georgia, you were either born at the house, on the way to Phoebe, or at Phoebe. Those are your options. When I ride around, it makes me sad. And we can either gripe or we can grind. We can be about the things that the gospel's about. Are you available? Are you in a position where you want to hear clearly from the Father on how he desires to position you and leverage your skill set, your gift mix to impact the kingdom and to change our city. And it's not about just changing these city. You understand, it's, it's making heaven bigger. That Albany, Georgia, your neighborhood, your house, your workplace would be an incredibly difficult place to go to hell from. Because we understand that the mission of God mandates that we would walk with him in obedience. Ananias is about to get a message from God that will forever change his life, Saul's life, and the life of the church. Corey Ten Boom said, if the enemy can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Maybe you've heard, if he can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. We have enough going on. We are busier than we've ever been and yet less productive, perhaps, than we've ever been. Are we busy with the things that matter? Control freaks have a difficult time with blind faith, don't we? The ultimate measure of our faith is how believers respond to commands that seem illogical. And we see this right here. We see that true devotion calls for a willingness to obey even when it's difficult. Verse 13, look at what it says. But Ananias answered. And he said, I love the, just the, the, the flesh side of Scripture here. I, I love that Ananias lovingly and politely and respectfully kind of pushes back a little bit on what God's asking him to do. Notice that the Lord didn't prep Ananias' heart with an understanding of what he was even doing in the life of Paul yet. All he says is rise, go to this house, this is the address. He didn't want to make any mistakes. This person here on this street, I need you to go over here. I need you to do this. Ananias doesn't even find out what's happening in Paul's life until verse 15. Verse 13 says, but Ananias answered the Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done. To your saints at Jerusalem, he's saying, listen, Father, I, I appreciate you reaching out to me. <laughs> and when I look around at all the other people that you could have given this opportunity to, you chose me. And I'm grateful. I, I'm grateful. But this guy's really dangerous. Are you sure you want me to go? 
Are, are you sure this is what you want me to do? But true devotion calls for a willingness to obey even when it's difficult. You understand that Ananias was most likely one of the leaders in Damascus and was probably, most probably, on the list of men that Saul was traveling there to target. Church, Jesus will regularly put you in a position where he can be most glorified and your faith can be most stretched. God being so kind didn't want Saul to spend time in unnecessary sorrow. So he gave him a vision as well and told him that Ananias was coming to lay hands on him so that he would receive his sight back. Let, let me just point out how good the, the word of God is. Because if we're not careful, we will read this passage or any other passage in scripture and just see black letters and red letters on a white piece of paper. Do you understand the word of God is living and it is powerful and it is true today, and it will forever always be true. And nothing will ever change that. And so Ananias gets a vision from the Lord. He hears the voice of God. Simultaneously, Saul is getting a vision from God. And it's the second time we read about in Scripture that God has spoken to Saul, the first being on the Damascus Road in the same chapter when he lost his sight. Paul, church, this is good. Paul is going to lay hands on Ananias, never knowing that God was going to call Ananias to go and lay hands on Paul. There's going to be some laying on of some hands. But it's not going to be for jail. And it's not going to be for, for, for persecution. It's not going to be so that he would be stoned to death. It would be so that he would be saved, receive his sight, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what the gospel's doing. God's so kind, he says, Paul, just somebody's coming. This request on Ananias' life would have seemed like an absolute death march. Our responsibility to the call of God, church, is not understanding. It's obedience. God has asked me for my opinion exactly zero times. I've never seen in the word of God or sensed in my spirit in, in listening to the Holy Spirit any time where the father has says, Stephen, when you get around to it. He just says, go. Listen to me. Follow me. Come to me. We see in verse 15 that obedience now provides clarity later. There are things that God calls you and I to that we don't see on this side of heaven, maybe that how it's even going to play out, but God's going to use it. You've heard it said that we don't get to plant a tree today and enjoy the shade tomorrow. This church is here because people before us gave because people before us worked and served and loved and we are here today so that the church of Christ will be alive and well tomorrow and most of us will never be known our names won't be uttered and that's the way it should be 
Count Zinzendorf, he said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Obedience now provides clarity later. In Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. This would have been a severe test to the Ananias' faith. If the God that we serve only asks us to do things inside the capabilities of our own lives, does it really require any faith to obey him in those ways? God has a rich history of taking the foolish things of the world and shaming the wise, confounding the wise. It doesn't make sense. As disciples of Jesus and followers of Christ, we have to get to a place where we can discern the voice of God and follow it to completion. This November, we will have been at Oak Hill for six years, and we've come to know and love our people. There's a family in our community and in our church. It's the Martin family, and they're from Griffin, and they're as Griffin as Griffin can be. They literally live in a neighborhood where every street in the neighborhood is named after one of their family members. You could call it a, a cult. <laughs> it's not. These people are godly people. They're sweet people. But literally, you turn down Bryce Street and Jerry Street and Abbey Street, like literally named after kids and grandkids. And Griffin is home to them. And a lot of you don't know this, but the Kendrick's grandparents lived in Griffin. And they would oftentimes go and spend time with their grandmother and their grandfather and their aunts and uncles and be there in Griffin. God's been working on the Martin's heart. It's Abby and Bryce and their two teenage daughters for the last few years. And he's now calling them to the mission field in Canada. Their girls are teenagers. It really doesn't make sense for them to pack up everything and to move. This is not like the most easy of times. It, it, and a lot of organizations, when you get to a certain, your kids are a certain age, um, they, they actually won't allow you to go serve because most people will return early because the transition is too difficult. Maybe it's because when we get older, we get set in our ways. Somebody say hello. But God's been working in their hearts. Abby is a precious mom who has an incredible community. Friendship. She's deeply involved in homeschool community there. Bryce is the dad and the leaders of one of our city and has just been presented with the opportunity of a lifetime and a promotion that he never saw coming. More responsibility, more money, more recognition, more perks. And at the same time, God is burdening their hearts for the people in an area of Canada where they don't have access to a church. Abby told me when she was a kid, she actually lived across the street from the Kendrick's grandparents. And they would oftentimes play together when they were in town. And that one day, Alex Kendrick threw a pine cone across the street and hit Abby in the eye. That's a true story. It was an accident. And Alex felt terrible, and they went to the store and got chocolates and candies and I think a stuffed animal and apologized profusely, as you would picture the Kendricks to do. 
But I've tried to convince her that now is the time that she should call Ken Nugent, the personal injury attorney. <laughs> Somebody finish it. One call? Come on. I remember Michael one time um, saying that, Stephen, you need to be prepared for God to call people out of your church. And sometimes he doesn't call the people you want him to call. <laughs> and he calls some of the best. And that's what he's doing in the Martin family. At a time when it doesn't make sense, when they don't know what life's gonna look like, leaving behind a place they know and love that's home, people that they know and love, a church that knows and loves them, so that they can go to a place where people don't know Christ, where they don't know anyone, where they don't know where they'll live, or exactly how it's gonna work out. Church, obedience now provides clarity later. What God calls you to, he prepares you for and makes sense of later. Either our God can be trusted or he can't. There's no in-between. There's no gray matter here. He wasn't trying to butter the bread of Ananias. He just said, I need you to rise and I need you to go. I want to have that type of faith where I don't push back and wait on the Father so that it makes sense later. I want to have that type of blind faith where we pray dangerous prayers like, God, my answer is yes. What's your question? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to yield? How do you desire for me to submit? What is above me and beyond me that you would receive the most glory for working through me? Those are the things that I want to be a part of. Lastly, we see in verse 17, a transformed life produces fruit that remains. Verse 17, I love this verse. It says, so in Ananias, after he's lovingly pushed back and God confirmed that he would be used, that Paul would face suffering, that he was gonna be used greatly Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul. Church, the first word out of Ananias' mouth that goes into the ears, the unaffected ears of Paul was brother. Brother. Through fear and through faith, Ananias welcomed him home and into the family of God. Who in your life would God break your heart for that you would be an instrument of the message of God that you would be hesitant to share with? I'd like to say no, no one. But there are people that I would be less ready to share with than maybe some others. You, you know, it's, it's hard to hate somebody when you're praying for somebody. 
It, it, it's hard to remain bitter and, uh, and unforgiving towards someone when you're serving that person. I saw a picture not long ago said it, it's hard to throw rocks when you're washing feet. Paul hears the word brother. He not only received his new identity, but understood that he was a part of a new family. Becoming a follower of Jesus involves coming into a family of brothers and sisters in the faith. Why? Because saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. We see this demonstrated. This was making Ananias leave his home, his surroundings, the explosion of the New Testament church, just seven chapters after Acts chapter two when Pentecost happened and and the church is exploding. God's doing incredible things. And Ananias could have never imagined that this one request, this one question for him to leave everything and follow him in this way, remembering that he pushed back against it, how it would change the world because Paul was gonna be used mightily. Why do you come? One of my favorite movies is, uh, is Braveheart. And maybe I shouldn't tell you that, but oh well. There's a scene in the movie where his men, who were vastly outnumbered, are facing a vast army from England. They're outnumbered, they're outtrained. They don't have the weaponry. They don't have the cavalry. And they're going to go to the center of this battleground, presumed battleground, and try to talk out the terms where possibly uh, it can be equitable where both can leave and there not be any loss of life. But William Wallace wouldn't have it. He said, I'm going to pick a fight. We didn't get dressed up for nothing. Guys, you understand that if if the point of you and I coming to faith in Christ was just coming to faith in Christ, we would leave this earth in that moment and be raptured. But he leaves us here, intentionally places us here as light in the darkness. As salt in a world that has lost flavor. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's in the governor's mansion. It doesn't matter who's the mayor or who's the congressman or in the Senate. And we want to try to vote for conservative values and people that are going to uphold this thing. But here, listen, the world's going exactly the direction the Word of God told us it was going to go. Are we surprised? Do we talk more about Fox News than faith and family and Jesus and what he desires to do? You understand that God is calling us not just to show up and tuck our shirt in one day a week and make our mama happy or check the box. But God's calling us to recklessly obey him. And we see some of these marks in these disciples. Are you just members of a church? Are you members of a movement? Are you members of the the body of Christ? Not just for the life that is to come, 
but on our way down life's path that we would be so faithful and so bold and understand and grip the vision and the mission of God that we would be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. Would you pray with me this morning? I don't know what God wants you to do this morning. I don't know how God wants you to obey this morning, but I do believe that the Lord is always looking for obedience. And it'd be a sad commentary if you and I were as mature in our faith today and no more so than we were a year ago today. If we would just take steps of obedience toward the Lord Jesus, if we would just surrender to his call, yield ourselves. Less of me, more of him. Less of you and more of Jesus. If we would just wait on the Lord and then when he speaks, we obey. That we're faithful. That we don't wait, we don't make excuses. We don't hem-haw around. But that we are busy about what God is telling us to do. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer, a short prayer, quietly in your heart. It's this, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's it. Lord, what do you want me to do? Not my husband, not my wife, not my boss, not anybody else. You draw a circle around yourself and deal with the person in your circle. God, what do you want me to do? The first miracle that Jesus performed was at the wedding in Canaan. If you remember, they ran out of wine. And the servants ran up to Mary and they said, this is a big problem. Mary said something so, so fitting. She said, whatever he tells you to do, do that. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, you do that. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if it's convenient. It doesn't matter if your family understands. None of that matters. It doesn't take faith if it requires a backstory for us. Where's the people that will trust God? Really trust them. We can sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. But deciding to follow him? And actually follow them are two separate things. It's time to actually follow them. In a moment, I'm going to pray. Some of our pastors and their wives will be down front. If you want to pray at the altar by yourself, whatever God's dealing with you about. If you want to talk with one of them about a decision that you need to make, that maybe you've been putting off for some time, now's the time. Don't wait any longer. What are we waiting on? God's already been so good. He's revealed himself. He sent his very best in his son, Jesus. How much more convincing do we need? Whatever he tells you to do, you do that. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Father, for your word and where uh, it lives where we live. And it's relevant and it's true and it's fitting. As it was then, it is now, and it forever will be. 
So Father, I pray for these men and women. Pray for myself that, Father, you would show us the areas of our life where we have yet to yield, where we are holding on to something with such a tight grip that we couldn't surrender it even if we tried. Father, I pray that you would teach us to live lives with open hands. Open hands on our lives, our future, our finances, our giftings. Father, I pray that you would move in this time. I pray that, Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as Christ, as Savior, as Counselor, as the Prince of Peace, that, Father, through the power of your Spirit, that you would bring them to salvation today, that they would surrender. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.